Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. The Arizal instituted that before we begin prayer, we open up the line of prayer by saying, verbalizing, I accept upon myself to fulfill the mitzvah of love your fellow Jew like yourself. The question is, what's the connection between that and prayer? Why is that the opening line to prayer? What does that have to do with prayer? Praying, I'm praying to Hashem. I acknowledge all my needs come from Hashem. I'm praying to Hashem. I want to connect with Hashem. What does it have to do with love your fellow Jew like yourself? That's very nice and noble. What does it have to do with prayer? Why is this the opening line to prayer, the introduction to prayer? So in order to understand this, he introduces a Kabbalistic concept. He quotes the Arizal, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, the Einstein of Kabbalah. And he's, Arizal writes that the secret of the Jewish people is that we are all one organism, like one neshama, like one, one body. And this is the secret of Adam Harishan. Adam Harishan was the soul, the soul of Adam Harishan. Adam contained all of our souls, the souls of the entire Jewish people. He was like an archetype. He contained everything within. Every single Jew is a specific organ in this body. So other meditation is like that one organism. Every Jew is an organ. Zarizal says this explains how one Jew is responsible for another Jew and one Jew is connected to another Jew. Every Jew is a guarantor for the other Jew. And this is reflected in Allah. A 13-year-old child could make Kiddush for Moses. But the question is, when it comes to a guarantor, who can be a guarantor for who? If you needed a loan, if you needed a mortgage on your house, and you said that Mr. Ronnie Perlman is going to be your guarantor, the bank would accept it. But if Ronnie Perlman wants to buy a company and he's going to quote you as a guarantor, <laughs> I don't think it's going to cut, cut it. <laughs> what's, how could you be a guarantor for... He's out of your league. He's a billionaire. So if you say that Moshe Rabbeinu can make Kiddush for us and we can fulfill our obligation, a great tzaddik can make Kiddush, okay, he can guarantor. He can be a guarantor for the simple Jew. But that the simplest Jew, the 13-year-old bar mitzvah, he can, boy, he can make Kiddush and he can fulfill the mitzvah for the greatest tzaddik. It makes no sense. But with the analogy of the Ariza, that the Jewish people like one part of one living organism, the body is all connected. The toenail hurts, the brain can't think. And many times you cure the brain through, through, through a procedure in the, in the foot. By easing the pain in the foot, you affect the brain. It's all connected. It's all part of one living organism. And therefore, the simplest Jew could be a guarantor for the, for the brain. Because the blood circulates, the same blood circulates throughout the whole body, from the brain down, down to the toenail. It's one entity. So because Jews are one entity, therefore the simplest Jew is just as connected and could be a guarantor to the greatest. And with this we can also explain, he says, how the Arizal on Yom Kippur would sit in Shul and say, Ashamnu, Bagadnu, I sinned, I stole, I cheated, I lied, I fornicated. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Hashem. And whom is he kidding? He's standing in Shul, on Yom Kippur. And you're making a mockery of Hashem? The Arizal said, I sinned, I lied, I stole. It's for all Jews. He's saying it for everybody. Ah. 
You know, they used to say that it was the difference between today and the olden days. The olden times, people told the truth outside the synagogue and they lied in the synagogue. Today's was the opposite. Today, people lie outside the synagogue and they tell the truth inside the synagogue. So the guy thought he was complimenting today's generation. It was the opposite. In the olden days, people were truthful in the marketplace. A word was a word. He didn't need lawyers. He didn't need contracts. My handshake, a word is a word. You can take it to the bank. When they came to Shul, they said, I lied, I stole, I cheated. A bunch of lies, a pack of lies. What, you never lied, you never cheated, you never stole. Today's just the opposite. In the marketplace, people, people lie, cheat, steal. When they come to Shul, they say, I'm a sinner and I confess. You're telling the truth. So how could Arizal, standing on Yom Kippur, the holiest day, stand in front of Hashem and say all these lies? But the answer is because the Jewish people are one living organism, and therefore, when the toenail hurts, the brain hurts. The brain feels the pain. When something is ill, when the toe is ill, the brain feels, feels it. The brain is the most sensitive part of the body. The brain, all the nerve systems end up in the brain. So the fact that there's a Jew that sins, that Rizal says, I sinned, because we're all connected. I feel that pain. And it's my fault, it's my responsibility. Because a part of this organism is not healthy. Ultimately, it's all connected with the brain. So that Rizal was telling the truth. He can say, Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazam. So this is the Kabbalah. Now the, now the Tzemach Tzedek, third Lubavitch Rebbe, comes and explains, elaborates on this point. Kabbalistic points. And using Hasidic terminology, he says to understand this, his other Marisha, Adam, his soul included the soul of the entire Jewish people, of Cloud Yisrael, of the entire Jewish people. There's some generations that were like the brain of the Jewish people, the generation that left Egypt. And yet some generations were like the heart of the Jewish people. We are the soles of the feet, scraping the bottom. We are the bottom, the soles of the feet, the angel of death within the person, the least sensitive part of the body. That's what we are, spiritual. Spiritual mediocrities, midgets. The soles of the soles of the feet. In comparison to the generation, the earlier generation, generation of the Talmudic rabbis, generations of the prophets, generation of Maimonides and Rashi. And that's why Adam was called Adam, because Adam comes from the word Adam Elyon. Adam is a reflection of above, from the one above. The Medr says when the angels saw Adam, they bowed down to him. They thought he was God. They never saw any creature like man. There's, nothing, there's no other creature in the universe that's like man. Because everything in this universe is one-dimensional. Animals are one-dimensional. The animals are always kind. The animals are always cruel. One-dimensional. Angels are one-dimensional. You have the angel Michal, who's kind and loving. You have the angel Gavriel, who's always ten, intense and powerful and, and awe, filled with awe and awe-inspiring. And then you have the angel of, uh, of Raphael, which is compassion. Every angel is one-dimensional. Every force in the universe is one-dimensional. There's one exception. Man. Man is a microcosm. We contain the entire universe within us. We're brains, we're intellect, and we're emotions. And emotions, the full kaleidoscope of emotions, one extreme to the other extreme. We have kindness, we have compassion, we have strength and, and restraint, and we have toughness, and then we have compassion. We're body and we're soul, we're physical and we're spiritual. We, we ha- anything that exists in the universe is reflected inside of us. 
is organic life. We have organic within us. Besides, we have hair and nails that grow. We have, but we also have the part that corresponds to the organic, the emotions. And then you have the animal life. We also have the animal life within us, the life force, the growth, the intellect that roams, that's curious, that's moving around. You have the inanimate. You have every part, everything that's out there is reflected within the person. How is it possible that one entity could contain opposites in such an extreme? And everything could contain everything, a reflection of everything, a slice of life, a slice of everything. This is only within the power of Hashem, because Hashem is infinite, and Hashem is undefined, therefore Hashem contains everything. And that's why the world of emanation is called a divine world. How can you call the world of emanation a divine world, a world where God emanates ten spherot, it's limiting. Ten is limiting. Ten is not nine. Ten is not eleven. You talk, you def- and you're talking about defined, defined emanations of Hashem. Hashem's wisdom, Hashem's brilliance, Hashem's kindness, Hashem's compassion, Hashem's strength. How can you call that the world of unity or the world of emanation, the, a divine world? It's a contradiction in terms. Divine and world are contradiction. A world, by definition, is defined and limited. And divine is infinite. But the answer is because the world of emanation is a unified world. The fact that it's all connected, it's not ten separate svirot. It's the svirot are all interlinked and interconnected and all, all included within the other. Each of the ten has within it all the other nine. So they're all interlinked, interconnected, interchangeable, which shows that it's a unity. In other words, it's a reflection of Hashem's infinite self. The fact that one entity could contain so, such a diverse range, such opposites, intellect, emotion, and all, and the entire full kaleidoscope of emotion, just like the human being, which is a reflection, created in the image of God. That's what it means a human being is created in the image of God. Because we are the only creature in the entire universe that's a microcosm of, of the infinite, a microcosm of Hashem, the world of unity. That one entity could contain intellect and emotion and physical and spiritual and, and within emotion itself, the full kaleidoscope of emotion, all simultaneously. This, even though it's finite, of course we're finite, but it's a reflection of the infinite. And the angels never encountered anything like it. They saw Adam, they bowed down, they thought he was God. That's why man is able to contain opposites within He's not one dimension. Well, animals are one dimension. Angels are one dimension. Holy animals. We say in Davni, holy animals. Because it, it's a love which is like animalistic in a sense. Holy, but it's animalistic. It's one dimensional, very intense, very powerful, but there's no room for anything, anything else. So therefore, that ability to be able to blend and to be able to mix and to be able to... That flexibility comes from a result of that bitle from that reflection of the infinite. Because a person, that bittle, therefore you're able to absorb the infinite and you're able to contain even opposites. So the soul of man, which is able to contain opposites, is really a taste, a reflection, a reflection created in the image of God. We're a reflection from that, that unity, from that divine unity. It's all interlinked, it's all interconnected. There's no politics in the human organism. No one is arguing who's the president and who's the king and who's the boss. And it's all one. They're all in this together. Even though a heart is a heart and a liver is a liver, but they're all connected. They're all in this together. Each learns from the other. Each depends on the other. Each respects the other. And each one feels as if they're indispensable. And they are to the whole. But they all feel they're part of a whole. All part of something larger than their own individual identity. 
and therefore they all connect with each other. And if you cure one part of the body, it, it brings a, a, heal, a healing to the, to the rest of the organism. But who f- senses this unity? It's the brain that senses this unity. That's why the brain is the command and control center of the whole body. That's why all the nerve systems end up in the brain. The brain senses all the pain. Toenail hurts. It's the brain that feels the pain. That explains why the Ariza, who is the brain of the Jewish people, he was the Rebbe of the Jewish people, he was the, Mo- the Moses of his generation, he felt the entire Jewish people. So if there's one sinner in the end of the world who sinned, he, he felt that pain. And he can honestly say, come to Shul, on Yom Kippur, turn to Hashem and say, Hashemnu, I stole and I lied and I fornicated and I did all that. Is all. Because that Jew's sin is my sin. Because we're all connected. We're all one. If there's one Jew missing, then we're all missing. We're all lacking. We're all crippled. One pinky missing, the whole organism is a cripple. But the heart is vigorous. The mind is sharp. Yeah, but you're missing a pinky. You're a cripple. And that's why we're commanded to love every Jew with all our heart and all soul. Just like you love yourself. Because the other Jew is yourself in a way. Yes, you're the heart, he's the liver, he's the liver, you're the heart. What difference does it make? The right hand, the left hand, as the Jerusalem Talmud says. The Torah says, you're not allowed to take revenge. If a Jew asks you for a favor, and you refuse, and then you, he asks you for a favor, you can't say, I'm going to take revenge. You didn't help me. Now you need me. And the Torah says even more so. You're not allowed to bear a grudge. Not only aren't you allowed to take, even if you don't take revenge. He acted unkindly to you. And you say, no, I'm going to do the right thing. But when you, when you lend them the thing, you, you tell them, you should know, I'm very upset at you because um, when you had a chance to help me out and I relied on you and I depended on you, you turned me down. But I'm not going to be like you and I'm going to lend you anyway. You're bearing a grudge. You're not allowed to bear a grudge. Jerusalem Talmud says, how is it possible? A Jew shouldn't take revenge, not to bear a grudge. Are we inhuman? Are we, are we supermen? Are we angels? What do you mean a Jew shouldn't take revenge or bear a grudge against his fellow Jew? And he has a right to bear a grudge. Because when he, in his moment of need, that person wasn't there for him. So Jerusalem gives a simple analogy. He says, imagine your left hand caused some mischief, caused some trouble. So what are you going to do? The right hand is going to slap the left hand? Who are you slapping? The right hand, left hand, it's you. It's all you. <laughs> you're hitting yourself, you're going to beat yourself up. When you take revenge against a fellow Jew, when you bear a grudge against a fellow Jew, it's not like two separate entities. There's I and there's the other Jew. There isn't, it's one entity, it's one dynamic organism. You're all one, you're inseparable, you're connected. You're not two hands, you're one organism. So what, one part of you is going to hit the other part? And that's why Arizal instituted that we should introduce the davening by saying, verbalizing and saying, I accept upon myself, I accept upon myself to fulfill the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew like yourself. Why is that the introduction to davening? Because what is the whole purpose of davening? The whole purpose of davening is that we offer ourselves as a spiritual sacrifice to Hashem. We offer ourselves to come close to Hashem. In the temple, in order to bring a sacrifice, the sacrifice had to be complete, without any blemish. You're not allowed to offer a sacrifice that has a blemish. So if you're presenting to Hashem, you're trying to elevate yourself to Hashem and offer yourself to Hashem, you have to be whole. If there's hatred in your heart to one Jew, 
means you're missing a Jew, you're missing an organ. One of your organs is missing. How can you present Hashem, present yourself before Hashem and davening with a missing organ? You've been complete. You're, you're a defect, you're, you have a defect. And you're disqualified from being offered on the altar, from being coming close to Hashem. So therefore, when you hate a fellow Jew, it's as if you're severing an organ. You're amputating an organ. Your organ. You're separating a piece of yourself from yourself. You're alienating a piece of yourself from yourself. You're cutting off your finger. And then you come in front of Hashem. I'm davening. I'm holy. I'm mystical. I'm spiritual. Hashem says, what a holy. Throw, throw this animal off of the altar. This is disqualified. This is not a kosher animal. You're holy. You're mystical. You're wrapped in the holiness. You hate the fellow Jew. You hate my... A piece of me, a neshama, a yid who has a neshama, the same neshama that you have? What makes you Jewish? What's your connection to me? You have a piece of the divine essence. The other Jew has the same divine essence. You're all connected, you're all one. How can you say, I love Hashem, I'm standing in front of Hashem, but I hate this Jew? It's a disconnect. It's, 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 a, it's a dissonance. It makes no sense. So before you start, the beginning, the introduction, the condition is, Fulfill the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew like yourself. And mean it. Clear your heart. Love every Jew. Even a Jew mistreated you. It's easy to love a Jew that's lovable. The mitzvah to love your fellow Jew like yourself is not to love a Jew that's lovable. Of course. <laughs> who, who, who can't love a Rabbi by Ditcher? Who can't love a tzaddik, a saint, a selfless person? It's easy to love a person who's lovable. That's not the mitzvah to love your fellow Jew like yourself. Because we love ourselves even though we're not lovable. <laughs> we love ourselves unconditionally. The mitzvah to love your fellow Jew like yourself is love a Jew who's not lovable, disagreeable, a Jew you want to take revenge. Who's worthy maybe of taking revenge because he's such, so miserable, he acted so miserable to you. A Jew who you want to bear a grudge. He's worthy of bearing a grudge because he's a miserable human being. He acted so miserable, so mean, so stingy. And yet the Torah says, not only don't take revenge, don't bear a grudge. You love him. He can't love, it's his problem. How do you love somebody you want to hate? So, firstly, the, in Judaism in general, the mitzvot are about, not about things that are natural and instinctive. If everything was natural and instinctive, you wouldn't need a mitzvah. A mitzvah means, naturally, I wouldn't love this person. Or instinctively, I wouldn't love this person. And yet, the mitzvah states, treat them with respect, treat them in a loving way, anyway. That's the superficial answer. The deeper answer is because the good news is that the love already exists. It's there. It's like, a, it's like in a family. Jewish people are family. We're all one. We're all connected. And there are moments of truth during the Six-Day War. There were, like, I think, like 30 parties in Israel before the Six-Day War. And that moment of truth, Jews united like one. There was no parties, there was no right, there was no left, there was no middle, there was, there was just one. Jews all around the world united as one. It was a tremendous unity. In that raw moment, when a raw nerve was exposed, when the very existence and survival of the Jewish people, Jewish community in Israel was at stake, in that moment of truth, Crisis can't create something that's not there. Crisis can only reveal what's buried, what's dormant. So that unity emerged and surfaced. 
But that unity exists all the time. The non-Jew sees it. The non-Jew looks at a Jew as one. They don't differentiate. Religious, not religious, self-hating, not self-hating. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll get a first-class ticket to Auschwitz and you'll be in the back. It's, but you're going to the same direction, the same place. There's no differentiation, there's no distinction. Because Jews are one. So the good news is you don't have to create something that's not there. You just have to tap in and reveal that truth. Just connect with that truth. Connect with the Jew with inside of you. If you connect with the Jew inside of you, you'll see the Jew inside the other Jews. And just like the Jew with inside of you is a divine spark, nothing to do with your effort, your achievement, your accomplishment, your, religious, your religiosity, your intensity, your, your mystical bent. It's innate, it's inherent, you're born with it. It comes from Hashem, where it's chosen people. The other Jew has it equally whether they're worthy or not worthy, whether they know it or aware of it or not aware of it, whether they live up to it or don't live up to it, it doesn't change, it doesn't change reality by one iota. Perkyavis, it says, uh, you don't judge a fellow Jew until, you st- until you've been in his position. You know, we are quick to judge and to condemn that bum, that low life. But the truth is, if you want to be honest with yourself, it's hard for us even to imagine. Imagine a rapist, a murderer. We, we can't even imagine because we don't have such temptations. But obviously this person must have such overwhelming temptations. So you want this person to control his rage, to control his temptations, to control his uncontrollable urges and instincts. So ask yourself honestly, do you control your own rages and your own instincts? Do you have to struggle on that level? You dismiss that other person. He's a bum, he's a lowlife. Why? Because he had this overwhelming rage and urge and he just couldn't contain himself. And you, the smallest thing that you want, that's a little difficult, you succumb immediately. We don't have those same temptations, thank God. But the temptations that we do have or the areas that we do struggle with the moment something is a little inconvenient, the moment things are not our way, you know, we, we, we get into a t- temper tantrum, we give up, and we lose energy, and we lose interest. So here you're condemning this, this bum, this low life is good for nothing, and you feel superior to him. Oh, I'm a mensch, I'm a cultured person. This person is, 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 is the biggest drag on earth. Really, who's a bigger drag? Think about it honestly. Maybe we are, because we don't struggle on that level. Do we overcome difficulties in our life that we're making the same demands on this person? Just because it's easy for us? Because we're not tempted? That, that's, it, does that make us a better person? How about the areas in our life that is a struggle for us? So if a person struggles in his life and overcomes his nature and his habits and moves and changes and grows and pushes himself, then you have a right to look at the other person and demand the same thing. Look, I'm growing. You can also do it. It's heroic, it's difficult, you have to overcome tremendous urges and temptations. But at least you can empathize with the person. Instead of judging and condemning and dismissing and labeling and reducing that person into, into a nothing. When a person is meditating and deluding himself that he's already soaring in heaven and he's already grabbing God by the, by, by, by the tail and, and he's grabbing angels and, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe he has a healthy imagination and he's, he's deluding himself. You know, spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip. How do I know it's genuine or it's totally delusional? And this is the test. Are you respectful of every Jew? 
Are you kind to every Jew? Then I know you're a godly person. You're, you have, a, you have a, a genuine point to you. You have a selflessness. You have a goodness to you. And that goodness will inevitably lead you to Torah. And inevitably it will lead you to loving, loving of Hashem. It's inevitable. It's like that beautiful story with the with two best friends grew up together. And then they married and they parted. One moved to a different city. One of the friends who stayed behind grew very wealthy, became very wealthy. And the other one never had no mazel. He was actually mazel, had no mazel. He had a large family. He couldn't, couldn't make ends meet. Anyway, finally came time to marry off his daughter. In the beginning, they kept in touch with his friends. But over the years, you know, they grew. And his wife says, listen, your best friend that you grew up with, you grew up together from kindergarten. He's a multimillionaire. He loves you. Go to him and say, please, ask him for a loan. He'll help you. He says, you know, it's a great idea. So he writes to his friend, I'm coming to visit. His friend was so excited. He says, please, come. Anyway, he travels. He couldn't afford. He walks. And he comes. It's the middle of the night. How is he going to... He can't knock on his friend's door in the middle of the night. So he decided to go to the park bench and to sleep, sleep at night in the park bench. Couldn't afford a hotel. You know? That night there was a robbery in the, in the, in the uh, church. They stole all the jewelry and, and the police are searching the city and they see oh, a stranger in town on the park bench. He must be the gunner. They haul him off the prison and they accuse him of that. Meanwhile, in the morning, in the morning, it's morning time, and uh, his friend is expecting his friend, and he's worried. You know, he wrote he's supposed to be here already, so he goes out to look for him, and he sees a whole commotion. The whole town is talking. There was a robbery, and the, and they, they found the ganev, and they're holding away the ganev, and he sees his friend. He says, "What, my friend? Sure, he couldn't have stolen it. He realized right away what happened. He was a stranger. He was in town, and they they, they just he was the most convenient victim." So he goes to, the, he pushes his way into the police station and he says, let him free. He's innocent. He says, how do you know he's innocent? The police chief says, because I am the gun. I stole the money. Because he knew he can afford to pay back. You know, they'll release his friend. They come to his friend. They unshackle him. They say, you're free. We found the gun. He says, okay, very good. As he walks out, he sees his friend is being put into shackles. He realizes in one split second what happened there, that his friend took the blame just to free him. So he says, no, 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 no. He says, free that man. I'm the gun. And they're having an argument. This one says, I'm the gun. This one says, I'm the gun. This one says, no, don't believe him. He's a liar. I'm the gun. The police chief was flabbergasted. In the history of his life, he never saw anything like this in his life. In the history books of crime, this was never, never, this never happened before. <laughs> you have two people arguing. I'm the guy to free him. He's innocent. I'm the guy to anyway. He didn't know what to do, so they brought it to the parties. They brought it to the, the king of the city. And he listens, to, he listens to both sides, and he says, listen. I'm freeing both of you. Because one thing I'm certain of. I can swear on my mother's life that neither of you stole any of it. Anyone who can be so selfless and be so kind and considerate and, and good and affectionate and caring. I know for sure not, none of you could even steal a penny from anyone. It's not even a question. All I ask of you is one thing. He says, please include me in your friendship. Kabbalah. 
and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.